Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hi there, this is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio for this week with all the latest in tech from around Ireland. Thank you for downloading from our website at techcentral.ie using your favourite podcast app on your smartphone or indeed listening on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. This is our show for the week ending Friday the 11th of September, a week with another slew of Apple announcements. Now many of them have been covered online and we've got lots and lots of stories about it on techcentral.ie .ie as it happened. However, on the podcast, we're not talking about it. One of the reasons being we're actually in the United States working this week. So through the magic of pre-recording, we're able to bring you some interviews with two extremely interesting people who we met and chatted to last week. One of them is an Irish guy who was one of the first to get into online payments. And I remember dealing with him and his company back in the mid-90s when people were really, really cagey about using their uh, uh, credit card online. But he stuck his neck out and he did it. And recently he sold his company, RealX Payments, for $115 million euro. More from him in about 10 minutes. Uh, but first, Niall was at a Croke Park, the centre of attention in the country this week, this month, uh, because the people from Dublin City University are working on a project to make Croke Park one of the first Internet of Things testbed stadiums in the world. And if that project goes well, you could see the exact same principles at work, not just in other stadiums, but in entire cities. Here's Niall. I'm here at Crow Park with Professor Noel O'Connor of Dublin City University and we're out here today on a very um, overcast but still picturesque day in the city uh, to ask about a very interesting project that Crow Park is doing in conjunction with DCU and uh, Intel and also ASU which is Arizona State University um, in the US of course and what we're talking about today is Croke Park being used as a testbed for Internet of Things technology. Now, we know a little bit about the, the scale of the Internet of Things already. It's a, it looks like it's going to be a 30 billion dollar, uh, 30 billion euro industry uh, by 2020 with roughly 5 billion devices online. So, Professor O'Connor, just to start, why Croke Park and why Dublin? So, uh, as you've said, Niall, the Internet of Things is potentially a huge market and potentially a new um, revolution in computing um, and is a key opportunity for Ireland. Um, however, it has been pointed out that uh, a challenge in this regard for Ireland is the uh, lack of a testbed uh, whereby companies can bring their technologies to validate them um, outside of a laboratory or development environment before deploying at full citywide scale. Um, so, this project is built around the concept of using a smaller um, environment than a, than a full city, but still at significant scale, corresponding to a sports stadium, and using that as a venue to trial these uh, and validate these new technologies. Uh, and we believe a stadium is the ideal environment than that, because whilst we often think of our stadiums as uh, environments where our elite athletes compete at the highest level, they are, of course, much more than that. They're, they're site of mass public gatherings um, for things like rock concerts, for example. Um, but they're also important pieces of urban infrastructure that are committed to to the deployment and uptake of sustainable technologies. They have challenges with their local environment, whether that be, be traffic or moving large groups of people around in safe, secure and uh, manageable ways. Uh, there's opportunities for technology intersection with retail inside the stadium. Um, and 
then, of course, there are challenges around the telecommunications piece and the digital content piece and uh, delivering uh, value-add content to next-generation platforms to tens of thousands of people in a small, constrained space. So taking that as a holistic view uh, of the stadium environment, we, we consider a stadium to be effectively a microcosm of a smart city and as such an ideal venue for trialling technologies that ultimately will find their way into our smart cities. So for the average visitor to Croke Park, they're not expecting to be bamboozled with sort of new technology or anything like that. They're, they're here to watch a game. But what sort of things will people encounter that will change the experience of, uh, of visiting a stadium? Well, I think there's different kinds of technologies that we're exploring here. Uh, on the one hand, there's a technology which makes uh, the running of the stadium um, um, easier um, uh, for the stadium owners. And in that context, uh, the technology should effectively be invisible to visitors. They should just have a better experience by virtue of the uh, efficiency of coming in and out of the stadium and going to the concession stands and going to the restrooms and so on and so forth. And that technology, we hope, will disappear into the background. So to give you an example, a concrete example of one of the projects that we're running here, um, uh, in the stadium as we're looking at how to monitor crowd density and, and crowd movement around the stadium and understanding where the pinch points are and being able to feed that back to the, the stadium owners but also to the end users ultimately to enable them to get a more um, enjoyable experience whilst, whilst they're here. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect then is more directly facing or interfacing with the, with the spectator or the fan who comes to Crow Park and that's about leveraging the existing state-of-the-art world-class telecommunication infrastructure that's in place in Crow Park and understanding what value add can be delivered over that, uh, whether that be next generation of apps, for example, that provide you information about the game in real time, or even in advance of the game, um, being able to reach out to spectators before and after the match as they begin their journey to Crow Park. So a key aspect of what we've been doing uh, in the first instance with this is trying to understand what the end user experience, or more accurately what the end user journey is in terms of attending an event in Crow Park, and then trying to figure out where the technology touch points are uh, in relation to that overall experience. So that's a very attractive prospect to uh, an organisation like the GAA that, uh, that, that is so invested in putting together a really good stadium experience. How do you pitch to stakeholders and say, look, we have these ideas, they're great, we think they'll work really well for you. By the way, it might represent a significant investment on your part. Um, well, I think a lot of the, the um, projects that we're running now are designed to try to drive efficiencies in the first instance for uh, stadium um, owners. So, for example, another one of our projects is looking at um, uh, monitoring the pitch and understanding the moisture content of the pitch and understanding how the use of the very sophisticated system that draws moisture off the pitch can be optimised to ensure that the groundskeeper has the best information at any given point in time to make his job easier and therefore drive efficiencies in terms of the overall upkeep and maintenance of the pitch. Another good example in that regard is the fact that due to where uh, Ireland is located globally, um, we have challenges around uh, turf care and growth um, based on the amount of shade and light that the pitch receives. So we're working uh, with Crow Park to understand and model those patterns of light and shade with the direct consequence that then ultimately the very costly, um, from an electricity consumption perspective, never mind the human resources and maintenance that have to go into pitch maintenance around the very large grow lamps that you may have seen if you've ever been in Crow Park um, outside of a large event um, can be optimised and their deployment can be optimised and drive real savings um, for the stadium owner. There are just two point examples of where we believe these rather straightforward and simple, very close to market technologies can drive real, sta- real savings for stadium owners and obviously if they can be deployed and their effectiveness proved in Crow Park then there's potentially a global market in stadiums around the world for similar uh, technologies. Uh, ASU is a very interesting partner, of course, being in, a, in the States, it's a, it's a culture removed, but also a sporting culture removed as well. Uh, 
when you were sitting down to discuss you know, the elements of the stadium that they're going to that are going to be enhanced by the Internet of Things, to which extent was there a give and take, or were ideas presented that you're like, oh right, I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought about that for Gaelic games, but it's a valid point. Um, so the, the link with Arizona State University uh, comes about through a transatlantic partnership uh, which DCU have established with ASU as our, as our preferred, our strategic partner in the US because as the two universities share a similar mindset in terms of industry engagement and being universities of enterprise whereby we engage with companies to try to drive real solutions to real world uh, problems. In the context of the stadium project, it was very attractive to have a mirror image of what's happening in Crow Park in the US for a variety of reasons. Um, not least because it potentially offers companies in Ireland and more broadly Europe a beachhead for their technologies into US markets and vice versa for US companies into, into Europe. But above and beyond um, that, that, that commercial um, uh, benefit, there's also the, the, the benefit of driving new technologies and adapting those technologies based on the various uh, different use cases that pop up in those two very different stadiums. So, for example, to bring you back to the light and shade modelling along the, along the pitch that we're, we're carrying out with Crow Park, here. We're doing that here because in Ireland uh, we get too much shade and not enough sun and that allows us to optimise our uh, grow lamps for turf care. In Arizona it's the opposite problem. They get too much sun uh, and too little shade. So by understanding the patterns of light and shade around a stadium like um, Sun Devil Stadium in Arizona, that can be fed directly into the fan experience to allow fans to understand where they're most likely to get the most shade during a, during a game for example. Um, it also, in the context of another big area which we haven't touched upon yet, which is the whole area of wearables, which will potentially be a big market or an additional market for the traditional Internet of Things market uh, as these devices start to disappear into our clothing. We have a project here um, uh, with Crow Park and and the GAA around understanding human movement in the context of our Gaelic games and the key movements and skills which make our our games special and using that to feedback particularly to the younger generation, to allow them to enhance their skills and digital gamified envir- environments. And the point is that that motion capture, low-cost motion capture technology, can equally be applied in a whole variety of sports, not least college football in America. So it's a nice symmetry by having um, a stadium on either side of the Atlantic to both drive technology adoption and adaption to different use case contexts, while also providing a good, strong commercial basis for deployment of these technologies beyond European or US markets. One of the things we hear about Ireland... Uh, is that it is one of the foremost countries in the world for having a smart grid for uh, electricity. To what extent can the Internet of Things sort of complement the very good telecommunications and energy infrastructure that we have in this country at the moment? I think that the key, or one of the key potential advantages of the Internet of Things is when you start to link up smart devices and smart instrumentation with a very strong data analytics capability because uh, it's argue, we can arguably say that in the current, in the current world Data or access to data is no longer the problem. The problem is too much data. So anything we can do to take raw data that's being produced, and particularly raw data that's produced in real time that is of that moment, and analyze that to extract real useful, actionable information that can be fed back to key stakeholders or decision makers, such as in the smart grid, such as in telecommunications uh, data centers, such as in um, uh, fabs, in chip manufacturers, for example, anywhere that large amounts of data are produced in real time, um, we can leverage uh, the Internet of Things power around real-time data analytics to extract useful information that can provide real benefits to whoever needs to get access to that knowledge. And in terms of city management then, um, one imagines that, yep, Dublin City Council are represented here today at the uh, launch of the testbed, but who else are we seeing uh, interest from? Is it the big 
urban capitals like the London, the Parises, or, or are we looking at smaller cities going, you know, we have a little bit more latitude, we're maybe a little bit more cost effective, maybe we're a better test bed than somewhere else? Yeah, we're getting interest from, from all quarters, uh, to be honest. A lot of interest from, I mean, from the smart stadium community. Um, so uh, every other week a stadium announces that it's smart, uh, which effectively means that they've put in a Wi-Fi network and a key challenge is, well, that's fine, but what do you put on top of that telecommunication? communications infrastructure. So I think we're generating a lot of interest from the, the stadium owners around the world uh, in terms of uh, being able to illustrate what's possible in the context of that kind of infrastructure being put within a stadium. And then, as you say, in the context of the, the smaller, perhaps more dynamic, more reactive smart cities, uh, they can see that uh, what's possible to be done at a smaller scale than perhaps what's, what's, what's more difficult to do in a much larger urban environment. So that if you have a smaller city that's more dynamic, that's more reactive, we would hope that many of the technologies that we're developing here could be easily transferred to those to those environments, which is not to say that they couldn't be transferred on a much broader scale, uh, but uh, they may find earlier adoption in the context of, of smaller cities. So to give you a very concrete example, another one of the projects that's running here in the stadium is on flood monitoring because Jones's Road, a key entrance point to the stadium, is prone to flash flood, flooding. Um, uh, so we're looking at putting sensors into the sewers uh, in that area to get real-time analysis of the water levels uh, in the sewer network so we can provide advance notice of a potential flash flood event. And that's a project that's very specific that addresses one particular problem that the stadium owners have at the moment here in Crow Park. But that solution, when implemented, could be deployed in virtually any city or any environment uh, or any neighbourhood or any community um, uh, that, that, that has a similar problem. And that was Niall Kitson speaking with Professor Noel O'Connor from DCU. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Now, the other person that Niall spoke with this week was an Irish man who was one of the first to get into online payments. And recently his company, Relex Payments, was acquired for 115 million euro. First world problems acquired. Oh, who is he? And what's he doing with the cash? Here's Niall. I'm speaking with Gary Conroy, who is the managing director of Relex. Now, uh, if you use uh, a website to have paid for something in the past, uh, you've probably used PayPal, but somewhere along the way, you've probably used Relex's technology as well. And what's interesting about Relex is that they're an Irish company that came from very modest beginnings and are now... I guess what you would call serious players in the e-commerce space uh, on a global level. So, Gary, if you would just take us through a little bit about the the Relex story, because this isn't a a case of overnight success. No, it's the usual case of, uh, you know, 15 years in the making to get an overnight success story. Um, Yeah, and and right now we process about 29 billion euros worth of payments every year. So, you know, if you've booked a ticket on Aer Lingus, you know, if you have gotten an insurance policy with the AA, you will have used uh, Relex at some stage. Uh, I suppose, you know, getting to a stage where you're processing 29 billion euros worth of payments, you have to start somewhere. So we started 15 years ago, uh, and Colm Ryan, who was formerly head of IT for Capital Markets in Ulster Bank, so Relex, I think, was about the third idea that he came up with. Um, and there was some fortuitous timing as well. There was some uh, change uh, of regime within AIB uh, acquiring the time as well. And Enda Murphy, who was heading up that business, you know, was looking at what could they do to facilitate online payments. So, you know, I think in the beginning, uh, it, it, it takes a while to get scale. And particularly when you think that 
we operate a business that's a pay-as-you-go model, so it's software as a service. So it took us one year to get our first customer, which was Direct Ski. But when you think that we charge €29 Euros a month to actually process payments, you need an awful lot of customers paying you €29 Euros a month to be able to build a sustainable, scalable business. So it was always uh, a search for scale and a search for growth for us. So the first customer, Direct Ski, was obviously great. Um, and then what were the real step changes to be able to build a business? And I think for us, the big deal came with Aer Lingus. So we started engaging in 2003 and then 2004, and they were undergoing a shift. You know, we now take it for granted today that you buy all your airline tickets online. But at the time, there was a shift to those online payments. And you think about Aer Lingus, a very big company, you know, established player, and they were able to trust a company like Realex, which at the time employed under 10 people to process all of their payments. Um, so that was a big deal for us, but it, it, it gained us credibility and you know, they're still a very long-standing uh, customer. So you know, businesses have to trust us uh, that we can deliver the service that will allow them to make sales. So you know, it's, a, it's a very important relationship and a very strategic relationship for those businesses. Do you think at the time when you were courting Aer Lingus as a customer, maybe the perception would have been that online payments are a small part of the business, therefore we can trust a smaller company. Do you think maybe if Aer Lingus, with the scale that they are now, if they were shopping around for an alternative just for uh, talk's sake, that they would look for a bigger company? You know, do you think one correlates with the other? No, I mean, I think, and obviously it's not just for Erlingus, but it's for all of our customers. What we have to do, uh, so we sold the business this year in March to, to Global Payments for €115 million. Euros. But they very much bought us because they liked what we did. So all they want to do is to accelerate that growth. So we have to keep the innovation and try and make sure that we stay nimble and stay like that small startup that we were all those years ago whereas taking advantage now of the scale of distribution um, that the likes of global payments have so we have twelve and a half thousand customers but you know we knew that you know when we started uh, talking to global payments they had one and a half million customers and those are businesses not not consumers that are, that are paying for things so the scale of that business a seven billion dollar market cap company listed in the New York Stock Exchange means that while we operate today in Ireland in the UK and Spain, you know, now we can go to all of the territories that global payments operate in, 31 different countries and the people who build and who make our product can see the fruits of their labour actually used to help businesses grow you know, in, in all those countries worldwide and, and to me, that's the kind of exciting bit and um, because internationalisation was the key. Obviously, after Aer Lingus, that gave us credibility in the Irish market, but we knew at some stage we had to internationalise the business. And it was around about 2007 then that we decided to, to go to the UK, so the largest e-commerce market in Europe. We knew we had to, to be there. And so we had a couple of false starts. We tried a couple of different ways. and Ultimately, we put you know, more uh, feet on the street uh, in the UK and, and we set up our office in Hammersmith. Um, and then we got some marquee clients in 2009. We got the likes of Virgin Atlantic and we got uh, the AA in the UK. So whilst we were processing for them here in Ireland, you know, we uh, leveraged that good relationship that we had to, uh, to gain the UK business. From there, 
um, we brought on a couple of white label deals. Um, so global payments in 2012, uh, we migrated several thousand of their clients off a legacy platform onto the Relex platform. And it wasn't just a technology partnership. So we actually did a managed services deal where some of the people in our office will answer the phone as global payments. It was a great success. They had hard stop deadlines and you know it all went really well. And, and I think off the back of the success of that, we got another partnership deal with Elevon and with Santander Elevon Merchant Services. So you know we pair the technology not just for Relex clients, but for global payments clients, for Elevon clients, and for Santander Elevon clients. So we've proven that we can internationalize and scale, but still to do it in a direct fashion, we wanted to accelerate and really drive the growth that we knew we had as our ambition. So ultimately, that's, that's what led us to uh, the deal in March. One of the interesting things uh, that you alluded there as a, sort of a small company, being agile enough to iterate on your, project, on your product very quickly, uh, what kind of product roadmap were you using? Was there certain points along the way that you were able to go, okay, we have a critical mass on maybe point A or feature A that we need to integrate? Uh, or were you much more reactive and going, oh, this could be a, a problem down the line, let's sort this now? Yeah, um so there's different ways that you can structure your company, uh, you know, in order to, to figure out what it is that you're going to do. Um, and for us, we always want to be a product-led company. So we have a product management team that are really close to the markets, be that SME customers selling online, be that large enterprise customers who take a, you know, quite a big volume of payments that they need to process, or be that our managed services customers where they use our white-label technology services and, indeed, embedded sales resources. So for each of those markets, we have a roadmap where we figure out what it is that we need to do. And really, product management drive that in collaboration by listening to the market and working with our sales and our marketing teams to come up with go-to-market campaigns. Um, and so we run a very agile house. It's a very you know, collaborative environment. So a product, figure out what are the feature sets that we need. Um, we develop those into really campaigns where we look at what are the three things that will make us different for this and where we can win within that particular segment. We map that out into epics, ultimately into user stories, and then we go into our agile and sprint planning exercises where we work in collaboration with the IT teams and those IT teams you know, work, you've got the development, you've got the QA, you've got the analysts, you've got the scrum masters. Um, and we have a nice collaborative space for everyone to operate in. You know, we've, we've no, there's no, um, no one has an office within our, our space. It's all open plan. And we have some nice collaborative spaces that we call ring forts. They're all whiteboard. We have our daily stand-ups there. Um, so we try and keep very agile. And really for me, Scaling is about having the capacity and the capability to be able to take advantage of the opportunities as they come along. So you set your vision of where it is that you want to go. As part of Global Payments, you know the ambition is we are the e-commerce center of excellence. We are leading e-commerce for Global Payments worldwide. Um, so in terms of the sequence of how we address things, right now our focus is on the markets where we already operate, in the UK being the, the largest focus. But as I mentioned earlier, they're in 31 different territories. So what I need to do is to make sure that we ramp up our capacity, ramp up our capability, 
Um, and right now we're keeping our planning horizon fairly short in terms of about six months. So we've, got, we've mapped out you know, the next, uh, next month. In fact, we have a new release coming in the UK where we have that one-stop shop. So as Relex, we were able to offer the payment processing gateway, but what global payments have is the acquiring and merchant services agreements. So in the UK, we're launching a bundled commercial offering, but on top of that, we have new SDKs. So we've got new PHP, new Java SDKs, new developer centers. Really, really easy to get up and running within five minutes now with Relex. And we're going to follow that on in Q4. We're going to have iOS, Android, Apple Pay SDKs as well. So we're making it really easy for that developer market. And then for the enterprise and large markets, we have some fraud releases that are coming out. So we've got some great enhanced offerings there. And then going into Q1, we have some great enhancements that are coming to our recurring payments product suite. So we've planned out kind of the next six months. We've locked in what it is that we need to do. We've got some really exciting stuff, but we want to do more. So, you know, the global payments bought us. They liked what we did, so they want to fuel that growth. So we've got some jobs announcements that will be coming in the next couple of weeks, but we're planning to really ramp up the headcount. I don't think we'll change the way that we do things right now. We keep those collaborative, small, agile teams. We just want more of them so we can do more because the challenge for us as a company is going to be scaling to meet the opportunity, I think, which is like just a, a, you know, a nice challenge to have. Uh, one of the interesting points that, that you raised there is sort of uh, Relax as an Irish company and sort of as a successful Irish company. Uh, where do you see Relax sitting in the technology scene in Ireland at the moment? Are you purely outward looking or is there a sense of almost responsibility to send the ladder back down, if you will? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think um, if you look at the ladder back down, I mean, as I said, the great part of the deal was, was being able to spin off the likes of paywithfire.com. I think... You know, what people need to see in the the technology and in the fintech space is role models. So companies that have done it and people that have done it and done it well. And I hope that Relex will be a role model, you know, for other people looking to start up companies. Because what you tend to find is, is that startup companies will look and see a niche that can be filled. If I can fill that niche, provide that need, then I can scale my company. And if you look at who ultimately ends up acquiring a lot of those companies, it can be those large multinational companies that will go, I'm getting this service from this provider. It's really good. Actually, you know, this is a strategic asset to me and, you know, I might look to purchase. So, you know, we're not, we're not the first. So we've been acquired by Global Payments because they, they like what we do. But you look at the likes of Omnipay, look at the likes of Fexco, and you can see First Data, you know, has seen the, the opportunity and the, the, the products and services that those companies offer. And, um, you know, so I think you'll probably see more of that, companies that come in, see a niche, and, uh, and then the opportunity to scale often comes by them being acquired. So if you look at the companies that are there now that are starting up, they tend to be in the, there's a lot in the peer-to-peer space that's going on. So you look at linked finance and peer-to-peer you know, financing, you look at currency fare, and you see that so peer-to-peer money remittance on an international basis. Um, you know, all those companies, as they grow, you know, can provide services. And you know, I, Again, I think the same, and the opportunity with paywithfire.com, as I said, I'm sure we'll see Colm go on to be a, a successful serial entrepreneur. Um, so we've been lucky enough to grow a company from within a company, and uh, I think that's just 
it's just very exciting and keeping that that culture of innovation alive within Relex you know is, is absolutely uh, one of the goals that I have going forward now kids in there talking to Gary Conroy from Relex Payments and that's it from our tech radio show for today thank you so much for listening remember you can get hourly updates no matter where we are in the world no matter what we're doing we make sure that you get hourly updates on tech news from around Ireland and around the world along with daily newsletters from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6 o'clock on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Back in the studio next week so until then from myself Dusty Rhodes and from Niall thanks for listening take care Get Tech Radio subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.